This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX with Dr. Drew Colfax. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio. Hey, Drew. Good morning. How are you? I'm quite well, thank you. How are things going at the hospital? Have you been working? I have been working. I've been working the last four or five days. Oh. And we had a day, and perhaps multiple days, but there was a day where we did not have a single person in the Ukiah Hospital with COVID. Not one? Not one. How does that work? I know, right? Amazing. So, okay, so Omicron is over. Omicron is over. Rest what are we peace. doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we still here? Yeah, I, you know, we talked last show two weeks ago, and this is a bonus third show in March, which I think we right. failed to sort of recollect. That we have two five Tuesdays yes. in March? Yes. Exactly. Um, so two weeks ago, we talked about ending our show today. Um, there has been a lot of talk, a lot of press, and I think probably an undue amount of anxiety around this BA2 variant and what that actually is going to translate to. I have been somewhat dismissive of it um, over the course of the last several months because I felt and I continue to think that we have enough um, vaccine uptake, um, enough natural immunity, that the surge that it's going to perhaps um, engender is going to be pretty minimal. Um, but the numbers are trending up um, in, not here, uh, not in California, but in the New England states. So the states that got into the Omicron surge earlier, so the ones that peaked um, in December. The first, early adopters. The early adopters, yes. The ambitious, hardworking states in New England. Um, they are starting to see increased numbers. Mm. Um, and so whether that translates to a, a mild hump of a surge or a more spiky surge, I don't know, but I am favoring a much more mild type of an event. I think it might be prudent to continue on for a couple more shows, um, okay. you know, play it by ear, you know, first and third Tuesdays. So that would be yeah. a show again next week. So right. we'll do a quick update um, a week from now and see where things stand uh, three weeks from now. All right. So so you can't really discern necessarily what, what we're in for with the BA2. I can't. I can, I, you know, I, I don't think that I have um, been wrong to sort of minimize the risk around this, but I think there is a lot of anxiety around mm -hmm. it. Um, and we, you know, we are going to continue to see, you know, new variants and new surges, mm -hmm. um, you know, more or less indefinitely. Um, and whether that warrants continuing to maintain a twice monthly radio show to talk about one disease uh, when you know, what we can do to mitigate the risks of this one disease are, I think, fairly well communicated right. um, is, you know, it's an open question. Although it's still affecting our day to day um, in terms of the choices that we need to make and the shifting sort of policy advice coming from local public health and state public health and the CDC. So it is useful to help us yeah, and, decipher and, that stuff. Yeah, indeed. And, and the science is still sort of unfolding um, as muddled and as messy as it has been. Um, hmm. We're still, you know, we're still really not sure what we're dealing with we, with each one of these new strains. And it's not entirely clear um, how effective and what the most effective 
sort of schedule is for vaccination and boosting. And, you know, there's this whole political fracas around masking, which is, you know, both misguided and unfortunate. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it, it absorbs, it, it continues to occupy, I think, a fair percentage of our cognitive space um, yeah. individually and collectively. So I'm happy to set aside a couple hours a month to continue doing this for a while. Um, but the diminishing returns are definitely Yeah. There. Well, when we're locked down and told not to go out of the house and, you know, need to wrap up with all the different layers and the, the boosters and all of that, that's clear. But now as things are getting less clear, I think it's useful for people to be able to call in and ask questions. And this this is a call-in show. Uh, we're going to open up the phone line shortly, 707-895-2448. You can also send your questions to us at dj at kzyx.org via email, and we'll get them that way. Um, do you have the numbers for us? I do they're have the They're kind numbers. of good numbers this they time. They are good numbers. I mean, I they're, like they're mostly good. So we're... We added about six, just shy of 60 cases in the two weeks, um, which brings our daily case count currently down to five per 100,000. So below the magical number of 10 per 100,000 right. that I um, cited, um, and that's generally accepted as one where you have kind of a tolerable risk level. Um, we have, as of yesterday, exactly one person hospitalized with COVID in the entire county, um, and we had one new death in the last two weeks. Um, California cases are down under 3,000 a day, so down about 30% um, over the course of the last two weeks. And national cases have dropped around 10 to 11 percent um, two-week rolling average. But we're still adding 30,000 cases a day uh, nationally, which is uh, about two and a half times the number that we um, saw last June during the quiescent period before that July-August surge. Oh. Um, so we're still, you know, we're still adding a lot. Um, 750 people a day nationally are still dying from COVID, which makes it, you know, the third leading cause of death in the United States. Um, vaccination rates have been pretty much not moving, um, pegged pretty much at 65% nationwide. Mm. Um, so those are you know, those are the numbers. Better, certainly, um, much better locally and much better statewide. But we'll see. You know, the the viral surveillance um, that goes on by tracking viral loads in sewage um, yeah. is up like a thousand percent in New England states and New England sites. Um, it's still down here in California, but that bespeaks something happening. Um, and as we've learned, the the data tends to be a bit delayed. So, and that's for BA two. It's showing up in sewage BA surveillance two testing. Is, you know, just as Omicron suddenly became the strain, I think BA two between now and middle of next month is going to be the strain. It's so going to take over. If you see COVID, it's hmm. going to be BA two. Well, we did get a press release from Public Health Mendocino County yesterday that BA two has. Come has to arrived. Mendocino. Yes, the others, yeah. one one case was identified. How do they identify those cases? It has to go to a state lab for sequencing. So it was weeks ago that yeah, it showed. Yeah. So up. the 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 data <laughs> lags um, uh -huh. considerably on viral sequencing. I mean, there is a faster lab at UCSF that can do it quite quickly, um, but the state the state lab is not super quick. Okay. Um, so what does what does that mean? What do we know about BA two? Is it more 
uh, severe and illness. Just what, so what do we know? It's probably it's not more severe. Um, whether it's less severe or not, it's a little bit hard to discern. I think ultimately it's going to prove to be just about as severe, maybe a little less severe. Um, it's going to be much less severe for we as a nation um, because we as a nation have, you know, a decent vaccination rate when compared to, oh, say, China. Um, and we have a lot of natural immunity because there have been 100 million Americans, plus or minus, who have contracted COVID. Um, and so that immunity and that vaccination rate um, is going to help. BA2 does seem to evade the immunity a bit, but it doesn't evade it um, all that effectively. And so I think what we're going to see is you know, a spike in cases, but probably not a major surge in hospitalizations, at least not a surge that's going to be unmanageable. Um, what about the second booster that they've been talking about? Yeah, so breaking news this morning, uh, the CDC has authorized second booster um, for people 50 and up. Um, oh, well, I'm not there yet. Well, <laughs> Almost. Working on it. You'll get there, <laughs> one hopes. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Um, so that just happened today, um, which yeah, I, I think it makes sense. We know that the booster, um, the vaccine and the booster is quite safe. Um, the data is not super robust as to how much additional protection um, it offers against BA2, but we can be quite confident that it offers some. It might be on the order of a 40 to 50% reduction in symptomatic illness. I think it's going to be higher than that when you look at COVID-related deaths or COVID hospitalizations. So if you're over 50, and I include myself here, um, it's time to get boosted. Um, that has been green-lighted. Okay, and do, what do we know about how... Um the county is still providing boosters for folks, or do, is this you just yeah, need I mean, to go this, to a pharmacy? Yeah, I mean, this just happened. Okay. Um, and so wh how that's going to roll out, um, I think all the health, the FQHCs around the county are going to start contacting their eligible population to come in and get a uh, second booster for those people who want it. I think pharmacies will start offering it probably pretty promptly. Um, I don't know if the county is going to have a second booster sort of clinical event. Probably not, frankly, because I think uptake is going to be a bit slow. But, uh -huh. you know, I, I think it makes sense to get boosted um, before this BA2 becomes a bit more prevalent. And it will. I don't think our numbers are going to be this low for too terribly long. Okay. So uh, timeline this week, next week, people should get yeah, their shots? Go on, go on. I mean, there doesn't need to be a stampede. I don't want to incite anxiety around it. Uh, it's not nearly um, as... You know, robustly protective as the initial series of vaccines. So, you know, you did not want to delay um, a year. It's only been, you know, realize 15 months since the vaccines became out. So it feels like, it feels like a decade ago. That's right. Um, yeah. Yes, I got my second booster a year ago about, this week. About now. And not yeah. my second shot. Yeah. I got my booster in December. Yeah. Um, how contagious is BA2 relative to Omicron? Is it it's about, about the 80% more. More? Yeah. That's why it's becoming prevalent. That's why it is supplanting Omicron. So keep in mind that Omicron was about 80% more contagious than the original Alpha, um, and this one's 80% more than Omicron. So it's 
the sad thing is it doesn't have a Greek letter. So I'm, I'm not sure that we can take it seriously. But <laughs> B-A-2. B-A-2. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not it quite just, as musical. It just doesn't resonate. Yeah, I know. Yeah, B-A-2. Come on, get yeah. a real name. Seriously. Um, <laughs> but yes, that's that's why it has this you know evolutionary advantage. It is much more contagious. And hmm. so it spreads much more readily, which means that masking should probably be employed um, in large indoor events, large gatherings inside. Right. Now, getting public health to enforce that or to even require it is a fantasy, um, both locally and statewide and nationally. But, you know, you shouldn't have 100 people inside without masks on. That's just stupid. Okay, so yes, so, yeah. <laughs> that's the technical term. Yeah. So what about how we respond as individuals to the this next? It's bizarre. It's like we have, you know, these huge surges and then it drops down to almost nothing, gets us all resting on our laurels. Yeah, and, and, and that's why we're going to see this surge again. I mean, we're all just, you know, we're tired of it, right? I'm are. tired of it. You're tired of it. We're all sick and tired of thinking about, <laughs> thinking about COVID. And, you know, we got through Omicron with, you know, only... 250,000 U.S. deaths. Um, and, and I say that facetiously in case yeah. it can't be appreciated on the, on the air. Um, and I don't know what, you know, what the death rate's going to look like from BA2, but we're sitting at, you know, 750 deaths a day right now from COVID um, in this country. And we're walking away from measures that we know mitigate those risks. So, you know, that stupidity is going to fuel, um, you know, a a BA2 surge, Um, whether it comes the end of March or early April. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, end of April or early May. um, I don't know, but it is coming. And then there will be another variant that will probably, you know, trickle along sometime in August or September again, or maybe later into the fall. And will there be fall boosters for everybody? You can be pretty sure that there will. Yeah. Oh, so so the suspicious looks that me and the other person in the grocery store get for continuing to wear our masks. Uh, do you do you suggest we just continue to wear our masks in public and that we can feel good about that choice? Or? I think you should definitely feel good about that choice. Um, and you know, when approached by anti-masked or unmasked individuals, you know, and that that has happened to me, I simply tell them that I'm wearing my mask as a show of respect for the million U.S. deaths from COVID. And that tends to curtail conversation in a very robust manner. You're good at that. Yeah, I, I tolerate <laughs> Curtailing conversation yeah. robustly. So it's a specialty. Yeah. It's good. But yes, I would. So to answer your question about what we should do as an individual, I mean, it really does... It, it's a question of individual risk assessment, right? And so, you know, children still don't get very sick from COVID. I mean, to be sure, it's the lead. It's you know one of the top ten leading causes of deaths in kids, but kids don't die very often. So those absolute numbers nationwide are really quite low still. Um, same for young, healthy adults. If you're vaccinated, um, then your risk of getting a significant illness is really quite low. And it's a, you know, in my assessment, and I think in most people's assessment, it's a tolerable, it's a manageable risk. Um, but as many listeners will recognize, it doesn't really um, authorize a young, low-risk individual from placing higher-risk individuals at risk, right? And so, you know, walking away from masking in public spaces is kind of offensive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have an octogenarian who wants to go shopping and you have a 32-year-old coughing and sneezing in Safeway, that's really 
intolerable, right? And it should be, you know, it should not be permitted. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there we are. So if you are an octogenarian or if you're a septuagenarian or even anybody over 60 um, or 50, which is kind of where the risk starts to tip up slightly, um, then you need, to be, you need to be more careful still. Um, I would definitely recommend masking inside spaces, um, getting boosted, um, and then also getting tested um, if you're at all symptomatic or even if you have um, a high-risk exposure. So if you are at Safeway and your mask comes down and somebody sneezes in your face, go get tested a couple times. Because mm -hmm. if you test positive, you can, you can get these antiviral pills that are extremely effective and they will be equally effective against this BA2 variant um, at preventing severe illness or death. And so, you know, being cognizant of exposures, being cognizant of of uh, symptoms and getting tested um, is is necessary. Is there any change in our sense of what is effective social distancing with this more contagious variant? You know, it's it's hard to say, really. Um, it, it probably is more than six feet. The safety margin, the penumbra of viral cloud is probably more than six feet, um, given the fact that this thing is so uh, contagious. But whether it's 10 or 12 or 14, I don't, I haven't seen any good data on that. And it's really hard to, you know, quantify it in a way and message it in a way mm -hmm. that makes sense. I mean, I was in a county office this past week. Um, everybody's unmasked except for yours truly. <laughs> and I walk up to the counter and somebody from behind the counter says, could you please step away? We're trying to enforce social distancing. That person was unmasked, right? So this is the stupidity that the county policies are engendering. Unmasked individuals asking for six feet social distancing inside a county building. It just, I, I don't know where our public health official is on this, but he unfortunately has followed the national trend. So masking is the first line. Yes, of course. And, the, and also very easy. It's not that hard, no, right? I mean, I, there, you know, there, there, there are protesters against masking everywhere, but seriously, come on, pull together. I had a mask on yesterday and I was walking to with friends downtown and i just kept it on and forgot it was on yeah and um yeah it was like oh yeah that's really a burden i forgot i even had it on my face sorry it doesn't guys. have to be an n95 or can you n95 just a just a surgical mask they're readily available they're cheap they're not that intolerable and and um what about outside outside still remain safe Okay. Yeah. So is it a is it an exposure if you are with somebody who later tests positive outside, not speaking from personal experience <laughs> or anything like that? Just curious. Um, it depends, right? Okay. So if you're like, you know, outside hiking somewhere versus, you know, sitting for two hours next to a campfire and that person's COVID positive, I you know, you it, have it, a great life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not talking personally. I don't. Yeah, you know. I was talking like a meeting. Yeah. An outdoor meeting. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I mean, outside still is markedly reduced risk. I, I'm not going to say it's zero because nothing is. But Even with BA2? I, yeah, as far as we know. Yeah. Why is BA2 so much more contagious? It, there are mutations on it that allow it to attach more readily to our epithelial cells yeah so it requires it's thought that it requires a lower viral load um, is it like the spikes is that is that the mutation am i putting you on the spot you are putting me a little bit on the spot i i don't the spiky the the appearance of the spikes 
um, is unchanged. So the, the, the coronavirus still looks like a corona. Um, but the mechanism of how those spikes are attaching to the epithelial, sign, uh, uh, epithelial cells, um, it's just much more efficient. More sticky. Yep. All right. Well, should we open the phone lines and see if anyone cares? <laughs> Do you have more? I, I have. That's enough for now. Okay. 707-895-2448. It's the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Alicia Bales here in the studio. And we are going to open up the phone lines for your questions or comments or sure. rants. I don't bring know. Bring it on. Am yeah. I? Okay. Bring it on. Yeah. Let's, let's see if the phones are working too. Caller, you are live on the air. Hi. I am calling. Thank you again for continuing the show. Um, I'm calling to ask about Easter egg hunts and children and gathering outdoors for that um, and what your thoughts are on that. Thank you. It sounds like in the background that you have one of those unvaccinated under six-year-old humans. So outdoor Easter egg hunts I think are totally fine. That's not one of the things that we should be foregoing at this point. Um, you know, kids are going back to school without masks at this point as well. That's, you know, that's debatable as to whether that's a good policy or not. But I think an outdoor sort of activity, sort of one of these things that makes us all happier, like an Easter egg hunt, um, even a even a group one outside is completely fine, um, both for children and for parents. Now, if you're all going to get together and you know, eat, then do it outside if you want to mitigate risks. If you have grandparents there, then, you know, put put a mask on the grandparents. Um, and I, I would just proceed without proceed with that without giving it too much thought. Family gatherings aren't a big, huge risk for no, super spreader events. They're not. Um, I would, you know, if your family gathering includes somebody who's at high risk, then just get tested. You know, tests are readily available. You know, a lot of health centers will test you for free. Um, they have kits that they can give you. Um, the federal government has been shipping a whole four tests per household, which is per address. Yeah, it's just ridiculously few. But um, I, you know, if if you want to have an indoor family dinner uh, with grandparents, just do a quick test of maybe not the grandparents, but the the people who are most exposed in that gathering and just make sure you're not positive. So you can call up your local clinic and they will do a quick test for you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I'm not sure if everyone, every clinic in the county is, but Uh most of them will offer that. It's worth a call. Yeah. And then as far as I know, the, the Ukiah Fairgrounds are still... Doing the PCR tests. Yeah, still testing. Yep. Yeah. All right. Oh. Sorry, callers. Yeah, the switchboard was lit up, and then, <laughs> <laughs> then I just reached over to to pick and it all up. All the and... buttons were dead. Seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight is the number to call. This is the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Still here, two years later. Wow. Yeah, it has been too. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Hi, I went to the um, senior center uh, in Boonville. Is that what you just mentioned? The testing. It wasn't, but the senior, I mean, there are both, there are testing sites throughout the county, um, including the senior center. I, I, not to get too hyper local, but I think the senior center testing, senior center testing event is going to be discontinued secondary to low attendance. Um, But that will still, that it's going to be relocated to the health clinic itself. Um, at least that's my latest understanding of where things are headed. But go on. You have a question or a comment? 
Yeah, just a comment. I remember now you said fairgrounds, but uh, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, they're moving it Tuesday and Thursdays at the Anderson Valley Health Clinic at like nine to ten, I believe, and they want you to make an appointment. Yes, went there last week. And, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's definitely not just a show up at the door kind of thing. Call and they will tell you when to show up, and that's you know that's one of the federally qualified health centers in the county. Um, I think each one offers some sort of similar testing, but you know wherever you are in the county, if you want to get tested there, just call them, um, and they are prepared to direct you when and where for testing. Well, I love the show, and since I've got you on the line, here's a fun uh, question: a crystal ball question, like. If you were to have a crystal ball, when would you say that we could all go to, like, you know, Kate Wolf Festival or some big, giant, thousand-people thing, and really only 5% of people there have masks on because we've made it? Yeah, that's—I I mean, I do have a crystal ball, actually, so that's how—that's oh, good. That's really helped me during this radio show for the last couple of years. <laughs> um I, you know, those events are going to be happening, um, right? So the question really is, when would I recommend going to that event um, where only 5% of the people have masks and, you know, 40% of the people are, you know, in an altered state of mind in some way or form or another? Um, yeah, folk music will do that too. Yes, you. it will. Um, and so that then becomes a question of one's own risk factors, age, and anxiety, right? And so, you know, it's not a lot of fun to go to something like that if you're going to be stressed out the whole time. Um, And that stress may or may not reflect actual risk to an individual. So, you know, personally, I'm not going to be probably doing that for, you know, another year, honestly. Um, But I think a lot of us are going to feel quite comfortable doing that much sooner, um, and it's really more my own neuroses having, you know, spent a lot of time with dead and dying people from COVID, um, that doesn't really need that, um, anxiety as much as the risk. So, you know, if you're 60 and if you're going to be in that 5% cohort, that's going to wear a mask and you want to get tested afterward. And if you're ready to belly up to Paxlovid afterward, if you are positive, then go to that event. That's fine. Um, it's just, you know, it really requires an individual sort of assessment of what you're comfortable with. Okay, so summer 2024, got it. Hey, that, no, that's 2023, but that's my own personal oh, sort right, of, right. yeah, that's my own personal sort of, you know, risk-benefit analysis or anxiety-benefit analysis more than actual risk because, you know, there are great drugs out there. Um, a lot of listeners are going to not want the drugs um, and also not want the masks and also not want the vaccines. Um, and so good luck to those individuals, but um, it if you're willing to sort of, you know, embrace um, the incomplete um, and somewhat frustrating science that has evolved with treatment modalities around COVID, then it's a manageable risk even right now. Wow. Well, thank you for all that. Yep. All right. Thank you for the call. Interesting. So if you are, uh, if you're staying on top of getting tested you can have the Paxlovid, like you have to get your diagnosis or your positive test quickly. Yeah, so this is this is important. Paxlovid um, and Molnupiravir, um, the two pill form antiviral pills that you start once you are symptomatic, um, need to be started within five days. And frankly, the sooner the better. 
Um, and so you need a confirmatory test, and then you need to see a provider, and then you need the prescription, and then you need to get the prescription filled, uh, all of which has to happen in a fairly tight timeline, at least in terms of how medicine tends to unfold. Um, but uh, Paxlovid in particular um, is very effective at reducing symptomatic um, illness, reducing hospitalization, and reducing death. Um, it's not available for everybody. It's available for only, it's only available for people with some risk factor for getting more severe COVID, which is appropriate because it is kind of still not an unlimited supply. Um, but the criteria is pretty loose, mm -hmm. and so I would say that probably 50% of Americans, adult Americans, qualify under the risk criteria mm -hmm. um, for so Paxlovid. So something to really factor in when you're making these risk-benefit choices. Yes, yes. Okay, let's take our next caller. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Hello. Hello, you're there. Okay, um... I'm sorry, we we had the radio on. Uh, thank you so much for the show, first of all. It's really valuable, and I know it's taking a lot of your time, and we time. really appreciate it. Time is elastic. I hope it goes on for at least a couple more weeks. Um, my question is, uh, we, we recently lost somebody to what we believe is long COVID. I don't think that it was diagnosed. I know it wasn't diagnosed, but... Um, she had a stroke early on, um, about, it was in November, and she was in the hospital, and then she was in uh, kind of a rehab place for a while, and she just sort of went steadily downhill. It could have been a stroke, but a lot of her symptoms were also long COVID, and <clears throat> she had COVID early, earlier. She had been had her shots and been boosted, but she still got COVID, and she had comorbidities, so... Um, anyway, I'm just wondering about long COVID that if do any of these medications, I mean, they can't really diagnose it, I don't think. Maybe you can enlighten yeah. us on that, but it's, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm sorry about your friend's um, death. Thank um, you. Yeah, that, and whether it was long COVID or not is and will remain very difficult to ascertain. Um, long COVID is going to unfortunately fall into this realm of um, illnesses or diseases uh, for which there is no good test. At least I don't see any on the horizon. Um, and so it, mm -hmm. it's this, con this sort of vague constellation of symptoms that co-vary with a lot of other um, illnesses um, that make diagnosis quite difficult. What we yeah, what yeah, we do yeah. know is that it exists. Um, we also know that COVID uh, increases the risks of things like stroke, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, whether long COVID increases those risks, you know, we just don't know yet. Um, as for the treatments available, it's not clear that any of them offer any protection against long COVID. Um, the best protection against long COVID is and remains not getting COVID. I had, you know, sort of argued uh, probably a year ago now, once we started identifying long COVID, um, that it seemed 
plausible that if you didn't have a symptomatic illness, you probably wouldn't develop long COVID. That has proven incorrect. So my crystal ball clouded up on that one. You can have a an asymptomatic or only minimally symptomatic illness, or so we think, um, and then still develop symptoms consistent with long COVID. But it is a bedeviling um, diagnosis to make. I mean, I see people in the ER mm-hmm. who have you know a constellation of sort of you know everything kind of is bothersome. They don't feel quite right. I don't know whether they just have you know, depression, um, anxiety, um, you know, a tick-borne illness or long COVID or one of these other hundreds of diseases that kind of mm-hmm. can uh, sort of pen- uh, penetrate every portion of one's body in a very vague and variable way. Right. And there's not a there's That's not an assay. Like there's not her. a test. Uh-huh. I can't get a long COVID test and say, oh, you know, it came back at 2.3. That means you have severe long COVID. That doesn't exist. And it, it probably is not ever going to exist. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's just going to become one of these things that we recognize on a population basis as a provider, but it's very hard to affix it to an individual. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that answered well, your question, you. but it <laughs> No. It, it was it, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a source of concern uh for certain. Um and you know, to to segue a little bit, um it's a source of concern for you know, people for pediatric uh, patients as well, um, because kids get long COVID, um, and oh. you know, kids still are not all eligible for a vaccine. So the risk yeah. of long COVID, I think, is probably um, just as significant on a population basis as the risk of severe acute COVID illness. Um, so stay tuned as to whenever we get you know vaccine for the the under five cohort that we just heard from in the previous call. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Of course. All right. Thanks for the call. That's food for thought there in terms of the tale of this 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 disease and this pandemic. It's like it's not by the time you're no longer testing positive is when your symptoms really may start to cause you the most trouble. It may. I mean, most people are going to clear COVID just fine, mm-hmm. right? So just the way, you know, most people are going to clear a lot of other, um, you know, pathogen, pathogens just fine, but a minority of people are going to continue to harbor um, some symptoms, whether it actually reflects, you know, a ongoing viral load in the body or just a derangement of the body's um, metabolism in some as of yet uncharacterized way. We don't know yet. Is that what they call when you can't diagnose it, but it's a constellation of symptoms? Is that what a syndrome is? It can be, yeah. It's Yes. So they're going to get more and more kind of clear about their language, about what they think it might be. One hopes, you know, it's it's just there's not a lot of medical knowledge surrounding it yet. It's, it's quite clearly um, poorly understood. Um, it's not even clear like how much we don't understand around long COVID yet. But, you know, given its high burden um, in the American public, I think it's going to be continuing to get a lot of attention. I'm just imagining the ads on TV for the the medicines. Yes, exactly. All right. Let's take our next call. 707-895-2448. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. That's you. Hi. Thank you both. I was wondering about the prevalence of long COVID. Interesting to hear about it. My other question is, what about saunas at a public place? <laughs> yeah, 
Thanks. All right. So, yeah, the prevalence is, you know, it, it's, I don't know of any good numbers on that um, just because it's very hard to um, count the cases um, and the diagnoses are um, quite subjective at best. So it's, it's easy to keep track of positive COVID tests, but a positive long COVID cases is um, something that I haven't seen um, good data on. I can, I can surmise that we are undercounting it um, but I can also surmise that probably the majority of people who think they have long COVID probably don't um, and have something else. It might simply just be COVID fatigue um, or depression um, or, or some other disease process. But there are also a lot of people who probably are struggling with you know, a lot of the symptoms of you know, pains and aches and fatigue um, that are due to a COVID illness. Well, especially since you can get it after an asymptomatic case of COVID, so you might not know that you have had COVID. Right, and it can be very frustrating to, you know, see somebody who's really tired and you get this sort of panel of tests that we that I get uh, for somebody who's like, I just can't get out of bed. Um, you know, the differential for that is broad, but there's not a long COVID test. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that ends up being sort of a, a long, um, by an ER doctor's, standard um, conversation about uncertainty um, mm -hmm. and diagnostic uncertainty and medical uncertainty surrounding something like this. That ends with, there's not really much I can do. Well, not yet, uh -huh. right? So, and I wouldn't hold one's breath as, there, as for there being a particularly effective um, and well-studied um, treatment for it. All right. It's the local coronavirus update. We're taking calls, 707-895. And the spa question. Oh, two four four eight. Yeah, the public sauna public question. Public sauna question. Sorry. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> do you have, do you have feelings yeah, about I, go public for it. I mean, I, I think the, the risk of public sauna um, illness is probably not COVID um, as much as it could be other illnesses, um, frankly. Heat stroke? Heat stroke, um, diarrheal illnesses, et cetera, et cetera. But oh, so I, bring a towel. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not one to go to public spas. Not your, not yeah, your, not bailiwick. my jam. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. We got about uh, 18 minutes left here. Let's go ahead and take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes. Hi. Um, I have a question. Uh, given the uncertainty that you just discussed about diagnosing long COVID. I'm wondering why you, in the in your previous answer to the previous call, you differentiated between what you call uh, COVID-related symptoms like depression, et cetera, and long COVID. As far as as far as I can tell, and this is from personal experience of two years, they're all wrapped up into a package. I don't understand how you can differentiate between some COVID symptoms left over from having had COVID and long COVID. I'm, I really would appreciate if you could clarify that. And then the other question I have is, what do you think is going to happen, given that, that we're lifting all the all the mandates and, and all the restrictions and the masking and everything, uh, and also cutting back on funding? You might have discussed this. I tuned in late. Also cutting back on funding for antivirals, for vaccinations, et cetera. This sounds to me like we're brewing a perfect storm here. I would really love to hear your opinion unless you've already addressed it. Thank you. Sure. So I to clarify... Um 
your first question about sort of overlapping Venn diagrams of depression and long COVID. I think that was um, precisely my point, actually. Um, maybe I wasn't clear, but it, it's impossible to say uh, whether one's depression and fatigue and anhedonia and loss of, you know, interest and in activities, you know, associated with perhaps mild aches and pains and vague symptoms um, is due to long COVID or due to something else. And that something else could be depression. And maybe depression, you know, certainly depression can be from COVID, but it doesn't necessarily reflect long COVID. It just reflects the current state of um, healthcare in our society over the course of the last two years. Um, but there's really no can way. I just clar- can, I, can I just clarify my question? Sure. Um, this is a, uh... When you when you when you have symptoms that came on as a result of a COVID infection and that continue to be there for two years and that and that leave you exhausted just from taking the laundry out of the dryer and that did wasn't the case before you had COVID I don't understand how you can say that that's not related to long COVID Oh no I I, I think we could certainly say that that is um, plausibly related to long COVID um, It's just there's not there's not any way to definitively say that it is long COVID versus something else. And I'm not talking in an individual case. Um, I'm talking sort of as a, you know, as a, as a provider on the radio, not everybody who has, you know, this fatigue um, has it due to long COVID. It could be a lot of other things. Um, Mm -hmm. But in, in an individual case, if you had COVID or even if you didn't know you had COVID, but you had COVID, it could be, you know, your, that described constellation of uh, symptoms could be long COVID. Um, and, you know, in many cases, it probably is long COVID. But good luck, you know, finding a provider who's going to tell you that definitively. Um, you know, it's just there's not there's not a, a capacity to make a definitive diagnosis around this. You might find some people or say, yeah, I'm quite confident that's what this is, but what's the confidence interval on that? I don't know. And neither does that person making that diagnosis. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so your second question about um, the, per- the brewing perfect storm. Yes. That's why, <laughs> that's why we are not curtailing our show today. Um, that's why I am, a little bit peaked about our abandoning the little things that we can do to keep each of us um, safe that we really do know um, work and we've been talking about on this uh, radio show for two years. Um, and so, yeah, are we moving toward another, you know, relaxation of um, protocols of individual anxiety and safety um, measures that minimize the risk of COVID spread? Yes. Is that going to lead to increased cases, in particularly in the face of a new, even more transmissible variant? Yes. Is it going to lead to a surge that overwhelms our hospitals and creates a major crisis? I don't think so, um, but it certainly is going to bring um, you know, more COVID into our community over the course of the next month or two. As and, it- as, and as for the, you know, the lack of funding um, and the um, pull back from offering um, free antiviral medication and um, free vaccination. That's coming, right? Big Pharma wants its paycheck. Um, So far, they've been getting it from the federal government, um, but it's going to be coming from our pockets much more directly um, soon, I have no doubt. All right, 707-895-2448. It's the local coronavirus update. We're going to take another call. 
Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Good morning to you. Uh, I have a technical question. Is there any similarity in symptoms uh, involving uh, COVID and Lyme's disease? Yeah, so and when you talk about Lyme, I, I presume you're talking about sort of chronic Lyme disease, um, not not the acute, I have a tick on me and now I have a rash kind of Lyme disease. And the answer is yes, there's a lot of similarity. I didn't want to, I, I think I referenced tick-borne illnesses sort of obliquely, and I didn't want to go into sort of the chronic Lyme um, wormhole that it is. Um, but both diseases are similar in that they are maddeningly difficult to define. Um, there's no good diagnostic test for them, and the constellation of symptoms that they can um, provoke is quite broad and variable from one individual to another. So, yeah, you can, you can think of these as uh, diseases with Venn diagrams that share a lot of space. Is there any test that you are aware of to indicate whether you have had Lyme's disease in the past? There's not a good test for that, no. I mean, there there are some um, providers um, in some corners of medicine that think that they have a test that is, um, you know, useful, but there's really not good data for that. Okay. Well, I do thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your uh, efforts that you put forth here. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go ahead and take another call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Thank you. Um, I have a couple of resources and a couple of comments I'd like to share about COVID uh, risk management for individuals. Um, the first one is COVID Act Now. That's spelled COVIDACTNOW.com uh, or .org. I'm not sure. You can go there and see a map of the United States and all the states and all the counties in the United States, and it goes from green to dark red in terms of how risky an area is. Okay, and that's number one. So I think that's a good resource. They base that on hospitalizations, uh, cases, deaths, positivity rates. And then the next thing is you can go online and type uh, COVID risk by activity, and you may have done this. You'll see a bunch of activities. Uh, often ranked from one to nine, from least risky to most risky, and that's kind of nice to have. So what I did, I actually combined both of those. I, let's see, essentially what I did was I wrote down, okay, if COVID Act now says that this area is, uh, you know, green, it's this kind of safe, I, and if it's uh, orange or yellow, it gets less and less safe, and basically you take the activities, and you pare them down as it gets less safe. Um, for me, I've been hunkering down pretty heavily over COVID the whole time, and uh, it's nice to see. It's just kind of nice to quantify how safe a certain time is or how safe, how safe it is right now in a certain area. Um, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. You guys can wrap on that. I will take my answer off the air, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the caller, you know, I, I appreciate his sort of uh, thoughtfulness around sort of pairing, you know, the statewide risk maps or the nationwide risk maps um, with um, with activity uh, risks. Um, and those are, you know, those are two good sort of data points or data sets to um, assimilate 
maybe formally, but probably not too formally because the data is only so good, at least when you talk about activities, um, in one's own personal risk assessment, which is what this caller is doing when he talks about going to, you know, any one of these heat maps. I mean, I, I haven't gone to the COVID Act Now heat map I, for quite a while. I tend to favor both the CDC and the New York Times and the Johns Hopkins maps, but they all extrapolate the same data. I mean, they all basically show us the same thing. They just, you know, have different colors and some of them are updated a little bit more quickly. Um, but it doesn't really matter. Using one of those sources is a good source. And as I have, you know, repeatedly stated, when you drop under 10 cases per 100,000, the heat map sort of gets a lot cooler and things get a lot safer for all activities. Um, and the vast majority of activities now, despite our being on the show and raising the COVID temperature, the vast majority of activities are quite safe uh, for, you know, the majority of us. Um, but there are, you know, particularly in this county, um, you know, elderly people who remain at risk, um, even if you're vaccinated and boosted. Um, but those risks are even amongst those at those more elderly or those people with comorbidities. Those risks are actually becoming more manageable in the in the setting of testing and willingness to treat, um, you know, an early COVID illness. So, yeah, so it's here. It's under, oh, it's been it's here. under 10 yeah. per 100,000. It's half um, that. Yeah. But, it, it, but, but we also have ways to manage even that, even yeah. that risk. Yeah. All right, let's take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, thanks for taking my call. So um, my concern, in a, and it kind of segues with the last caller's call, um, one of my concerns is about uh, international and national air travel, which... <laughs> heard this morning uh, is beyond the highest it's ever been. Um, so, you know, I can't imagine that that's going to help in any way with, uh, with um, what may be coming around the bend. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I, I don't, I'm not aware that uh, international travel has reached its peak. Um, I, I'm somewhat surprised to hear that, actually, because I think a lot of business travel is still curtailed once we realize you don't need to fly across the country to have a meeting. Um, but I don't actually think that that's going to be a large driver of any particular surge. Um, what it is going to do is ensure that any um, new variant that successfully has some evolutionary advantage gets distributed around the world fairly fairly promptly. Um, and we saw that, you know, in, in real time quite startlingly with Omicron where it emerged in November and was taking over the world by the end of December. I mean, that was six weeks for a virus to wrap its arms around the entire globe. Um, and, you know, air travel is really how that happens. So it's going to it's going to make sure that any new strains and there will be strains, as I've said, um, you know, become worldwide uh, endemic infections um, in fairly short order. But it's not going to drive, I don't think, in a significant way, um, a large surge of cases within any particular geographic area. That's going to happen with just the day-to-day -day unmasked or masked activities that we're all engaging in, simply because we're well past any sort of fantasy of lockdown. We have about five minutes left. Do you want to take one more? Sure. Okay. 
Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Wonderful. Hello. Good morning. Um, I have never called during the show, and I um, have written you both a letter. I'm wondering if I could read it to you on the air instead of send it to you. I know we only have six minutes, and so I have to read this fast. But um, may I may I read this to you? Sure, as long as it's not you know multiple pages. It, it's not multiple. <laughs> um, so let me let me go for it here. So. Ah, dear Alicia and Dr. Colfax, I'm writing to share feedback with you as a longtime KZYX listener and supporter and to ask if you'd be willing to host a guest doctor on the local coronavirus update. First, the feedback. In the last year or more, I felt alarmed and alienated in response to how people like myself have been labeled during the local coronavirus update, meaning people have chosen not to be inoculated with a COVID vaccine. Dr. Colfax, you deserve my and everyone's respect for generously donating your time, energy, and expertise to us over these past two years. I know you have done so because you wish to support our community during this crisis. Yet when you call people like me, quote, Kool-Aid drinking nimrods, end quote, or, quote, warriors of stupidity, end quote, you encourage division and alienation in our community. Over the last year, I've heard you use these labels and many similar ones. Along with different versions of idiot, I've also been labeled a Trump supporter by you, although nothing could be further from the truth. Please stop pigeonholing. Please stop the name-calling. Alicia, when you allow Dr. Colfax to label KZYX listeners on, in this way on the air without telling him to stop or disagreeing with him, you're condoning his comments. Dr. Colfax is surely not the only one labeling people in this way, and it's happening on both sides of the COVID vaccine debate. I ask myself regularly if there are ways I'm contributing to division or alienation. We live in a special community, one in which I felt at home until this past year. I can surely weather this kind of shaming and blaming, yet I feel concerned about others in our community who are younger or more fragile in their mental health. All of us want to feel like we're on the right team. All of us want to be respected. To be accused of being stupid or selfish or a bad person or in caring of your community over and over is painful, isolating, and potentially damaging. When in history has vilifying any group of people proved a good idea? Dr. Colfax, please reconsider your us versus them stance, which hurts our community. It pits neighbor against neighbor and loved one against loved one. Alicia, please allow the other side of the vaccine debate to be represented, even briefly. I don't know what percentage of KZYX listeners are unvaccinated. It may be up to 30% of us. I don't know. KZYX has given ample airtime to Dr. Colfax's opinion that the COVID vaccines are safe and effective. Many doctors and scientists around the world who have much expertise in virology, immunology, and or the new technology used in the COVID vaccines are deeply concerned about the safety of these experimental vaccines and the rapid rollout of them, especially to our children. Many are disappointed in their efficacy, yet these doctors and scientists are censored and smeared when they speak out. When in history has censorship proved a good idea? Currently, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, has over a million verified reports and counting. Misrepresenting an adverse event to VAERS is a felony. VAERS is flawed, but as far as I know, the only system we have in the U.S. to gather data on vaccine adverse events. These concerns. We have about 90 seconds. Okay. These concerned doctors and scientists include Dr. Adida Bargava, UCS professor, molecular biologist, and researcher of mRNA vaccine technology. I wrote to Dr. Bargava recently. 
and asked if she'd be willing to dialogue with you, Dr. Colfax, on KZOX, or be interviewed by you, Alicia, and to my surprise, she agreed. Would you be willing to dialogue with her on the air, Dr. Colfax? I believe she can match you in intelligence and knowledge on the subject, in her commitment to science, and in her sincere wish to help humanity. If not, Alicia, would you be willing to interview her and offer her point of view an hour of airtime on KZYX on behalf of KZYX members and listeners like myself? And just summarizing the last, I've been a a long-time sustaining member, um, and, you know, I I have a very um, humble budget, and so that speaks a lot of my enthusiasm, but um, the name-calling and the vilification of this show, just given its primary program on such a critical subject and a program that, for this reason, has extra influence in our community, has has, um, just been a disappointment. All right. I'm sorry to do this, but I'm going to have to ask you to end it there because we have about 20 seconds left. I understand. But thank, thank you, you so much. That out. All right. I'll, I'll email the letter. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Well, that's going to do it. We're going to have to kind of talk about that in the future. Although, call, caller, I know that you're not alone. I, I, I do hear from listeners um, and th- that have feelings similar to yours. So it's the local coronavirus update. This is Alicia Bales with Dr. Drew Colfax. That's going to do it. This has been the Local Coronavirus Update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also hear us live on the web at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us every first and third Tuesday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions to dj at kzyx.org. And you can always listen to our podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stumptown, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.